several years back, I was um, at a point in my own life where I was feeling dry and parched and would come to church. I'm, I'm paid to come here. And I was sitting on the front row singing songs as we do. I wouldn't have it any other way, but I just felt like what I was singing, what we were singing was a little uh, too far removed from what I was experiencing in my own life. And uh, I came across these words from a great writer, prolific in his thoughts, a man named Henry Nouwen. He said this, uh, his own story. I came face to face with the simple question, did becoming older bring me closer to Jesus? After 25 years of ministry, ouch, I found myself praying poorly, living somewhat isolated from other people, and very much preoccupied with burning issues. Everyone was saying that I was doing really well. But something inside was telling me that my success was putting my own soul in danger. I began to ask myself whether my lack of contemplative prayer, my loneliness, and my constantly changing involvement in what seemed most urgent were signs that the spirit was gradually being suppressed. I woke up one day with the realization that I was living in a very dark place and that the term burnout was not a convenient psychological translation for spiritual death. It's that last sentence that gets me so. We began a couple of weeks ago online and then last week in person, just a series that's lasting a few weeks here called Life Together. We are encouraging you. Uh, we gave away 30 free books last week. Uh, 15 of you from the two different services popped upstairs to the Breezeway Room and grabbed a complimentary copy. It's a little clunky to read because it was written by a German pastor during the Nazi occupation uh, of Hitler uh, in Germany, written to underground seminary students. So, uh, Hopefully we can appreciate that as we read it, but it's got good thoughts on life together. And last week we said that drift happens. Uh, you end up, we end up at a place, oftentimes in our lives, where we say, how did I get here? Well, we got here, you got there because you drifted. Well, how did you drift? The promise in Hebrews 2, or the reality, the command, I should say, is this. Take earnest heed, pay, pay careful attention, Hebrews 2, 1. Uh, that, uh, pay attention to the teaching so that you won't drift away. And drift happens in our lives. And the answer to it in the letter of Hebrews last week was the two phrases, two words, let us, let us. We looked at several of them. There are 14 uh, in the letter of Hebrews. We looked at five last week. Let us uh, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. Uh, let us draw near with a sincere conscience in our faith. Um, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Let us offer a sacrifice of praise to God with our lips, continually uh, praising him with the words of our mouth. Let us do this. Um, let us make every effort to enter into his rest. There's these statements, and it shows us that God intends for us to live life together. So from our passage today, if you brought a Bible, Mark chapter 3 is the place to be. I'm going to give you very little time to turn there before we beat it uh, on Scripture on the screen. But Mark chapter 3, there's two words that I want to draw from the words of Jesus here. Like the words, let us, I want it to frame uh, your um, attention that you give this sermon and the, sort of the prism from which you look at this through, a life together through, okay? It's Mark 3, verses 13 to 15, and... Um, Thank you. Pre, I, I like that. I appreciate that. Last service, I recommended, or I wanted uh, verse 13, and lo and behold, they put it up there. Good work, Gina. Uh, compensating for the preacher's weaknesses. Uh, Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those who he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be, here's our two words, with him. 
And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Last week, let us, this morning, be with. A life that, the life that Jesus calls you and I to live is the be with life. Sometimes at churches, imagine this, uh, things will get fuzzy and funny and there'll be uh, maybe some comp- conflict or uh, competition. There could be different visions that uh, are being bantered about. And what I talk about, what I bring our people back to, this is more inside jargon here, but I always bring our people back to these two words. When Jesus said, be with. Jesus had a plan to change the world and he did a great job. And he, his plan was the be with plan. So sometimes I attend meetings and people are throwing around ideas. I'm like, as long as it's us being with each other, as long as we're calling people to be with Jesus. Last week, we showed the story of Sterling and Catherine Rose Kidd and their, uh, their pain and their battle with infertility and the joy of, uh, I mean, I'll say it, the joy of finally having a child. And they talked about their group, and we know and love their group. We're so grateful for them. We're asking you to get in a group. But I loved, and I, I, it almost undid me. I almost was unable to preach last week just walking up to this stage when they said, Fondren Church has brought us to the feet of Jesus. This imperfect place with people who fail constantly, they brought us to the feet of Jesus. We want to be that church. We want you to live life together. We want you to join with us and say, let us lock arms. Last week I mentioned otters, how otters fall asleep together by locking arms. I talked about how cute they were, and then Larry, lo and behold, went and posted it on our Instagram this week, and some of you emailed me, uh, three people emailed me and said, you know, Pastor, uh, otters are cute, and it's it's sweet how they hold hands, lock arms when they're sleeping, but they're also very violent creatures. Did y'all know that? Otters are very violent. They turn on each other and kill each other, and it's bloody and messy, and I'm like, I did not need to know this, honestly. Like, you hold on to some of your facts. You don't have to email me about everything. I, I didn't say they're only cute, okay? I just said they, but, you know, anyway. Uh, but let us share life together. Let us live uh, the be with life. Pastor Pete, pastors in uh, Queens, New York, I think is known as the most diverse uh, borough, most diverse neighborhood city in, in America. And he's written a series of books that have... Uh, over the last few years, have really impacted some of Susan and I's best friends, our peers uh, in ministry. And we've jumped on the train. We uh, call him Pastor Pete. He's written some books on emotionally healthy spirituality. I'm looking at some of our younger leaders. Uh, get this and devour it if you haven't. He, here's 10 traits of an unhealthy, emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Number one, using God to run from God. Ignoring anger, sadness, and fear. Dying to the wrong things, that is, denying yourself the joy of God's good gifts. Denying the impact of the past on the present. Dividing life into the secular and sacred compartments. Six, doing for God instead of, what's our phrase? Being with God. Spiritualizing away conflict. Covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. Living without limits. Judging other people's spiritual journey. Don't do that, by the way. Let's go back to the first five, and I'm going to give an awkward moment of silence for you to read again. And uh, if you're in a group following the sermon discussion, you'll have an opportunity to read through this slowly and see where you can relate. And the second five again. 
Henry Dowen would also say this, and uh, it impacts me because of my job, but I know it's not only me. Henry Dowen said, much Christian leadership is exercised by people who do not know how to develop healthy, intimate relationships and have opted for power and control instead. Many Christian empire builders have been people unable to give and receive love. When I talk to you this morning about life together, about the be with life, I want to say to you that the under, what undergirds it all is for, it's because it's not enough for us to get up here and say, we want you in a group. And we say that and we're going to keep saying that. But that only motivates us to a certain degree. We want you in a group. It's organizational, it's institutional. But undergirding this could be what we're praying for, for the spirit to enliven you to say, I need community. And I need authentic community. And here's what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches us uh, that we need many people and that we need a few people. You see, Jesus, when he called uh, those people to himself, he had pushed away from the crowd. That's why I wanted verse 13 up there. Um, he had pushed up uh, to a mountain and he did it in a boat on a lake sometimes. But he pushed away from the crowd. He was with the crowd. He preached to the crowd. He loved the crowd. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 39. He looked at the crowd and his heart broke for the, for the crowd because they were scattered with, uh, as sheep without a shepherd. And he um, had compassion on them, the scripture says, deep, deep. In his gut, he had compassion uh, on them. Jesus pushed away in this scenario from the crowd. No, he sent out the 70. He worked with the 12, but he was intimate with the few. Peter, James, and John. And I think the same is true for you. Years ago, I read a book by Paul Stanley, not the former rock star guy with the band Kiss, a different Paul Stanley, and, uh, and Robert Clinton. It's a book called Connecting, the mentoring relationships you need to succeed in life. And even though I read it some, hate to even admit this, some 30 years ago, uh, there's a metaphor in their book that stands out to me. He says that we walk through life early especially and we look for a mentor. We look for one person who will be like a North Star. They'll help us navigate the dark and stormy seas. They'll be brilliant. They'll be truthful. And we will have a sage, a mentor, a, a North Star. And Stanley and Clinton in their book say that actually what we can learn from the sailors is they don't navigate the seas with one North Star. They do so with many constellations, with a constellation of many, many stars. And so is true for you. God, look, I'm not asking any introverts to become extroverts. But I am saying that God has many relationships for all of us in the room. God has relationships for you unless, you know, your time is nigh. God has uh, many, many relationships for everybody in the room. Relationships you don't know about. People, you don't even know their name yet. You don't know anything about their story. They don't know you yet. But sign up and show up and get to know, serve and lock arms and be open to who God has for you. It's not just one person. I'm not discounting. We'll look at this in a second. There are older, wiser uh, people that God will give to your life. You need uh, that. But it's a constellation. It's many stars that he will use. Take a look at two Proverbs. One is Proverbs 11. One is Proverbs 22. They essentially say the same thing. There's a lot of repetition in, in the Proverbs. Uh, all good teaching involves that. Proverbs 11:14. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in what? In an abundance of counselors, there is safety. He's saying you need, you need a lot of people. You need different people to speak in your life from different vantage points. Proverbs 15, 22, essentially the same thing. Without counsel, plans fail. But with what? Many advisors, they succeed. We need many people. You need many people in your life to share life together, to grow as an apprentice of Jesus, to learn what discipleship is, to flourish as a human being. You will need many 
but you need to know who your few are. Jesus sent the 70, he called the 12, but he was intimate with the three. Let me give you all some advice that I believe is biblically based, looking at the life of Jesus from Mark 3 and following. Um, with everyone, authenticity. With a few friends, vulnerability. With everyone, authenticity. With a few trusted friends, vulnerability. When we are vulnerable, we risk it. I appreciated it. That's why I appreciated this week um, looking at a, a guy that is a counselor and a pastor teacher at a, a church of Rancho Bernardo in San Diego where we used to live. Mike uh, titled his post, Some Thoughts on Those Who Try. Have you tried anything? Are you going to try anything this week? You got something big that you're open for? Some thoughts on those who try. Listen to Mike's vulnerability. Yesterday I was forced to cancel my strongest couples workshop. Why? I had only one sign up. Only one. And frankly, I'm embarrassed. I promoted it. I invited lots of friends. Hundreds of people checked out the webpage. My wife and I had the food and special surprises all planned out. We were pumped, but still no one signed up. I feel embarrassed, irritated, frustrated with myself. I'm second-guessing my work and my message a bit. My confidence is rattled. This is what happens when things like this happen. I only share this because if you're a person who puts things out into the world, you probably have experienced this type of failure too. And when it happened, you wanted to hide it away so you wouldn't look bad or feel embarrassed. For example, the book you published that didn't sell, the event you hosted that few came to, the dream business that closed two years later, the poem you wrote that no one understood, that sure thing investment that collapsed, your vulnerable Instagram post that, you, that went unnoticed. We're so good at looking successful but hate having mud on our face. But failure is a sad cruelty of life. And honestly, we should share more of these moments and a little less of our highlights. Then we wouldn't feel so alone in our failure. If we didn't hide the things that didn't work, we would feel more connected. Sort of like we're, we've joined a family of people who tried stuff and it just didn't work. And the fact that we tried makes us braver than those who didn't. Not better, just braver. And friends, that's something to be proud of. So let's keep trying and then trying some more because that's... What success is all about. So I read that from Mike Foster, and she can tell you, I'm like, man, he failed at something? Like, I, I didn't think he did. I know I do, but I didn't think he did. So vulnerability is awkward on a social media post. And some of you, you know, um, you should put it in a journal, not on Instagram. But I appreciate, you know, I, I take stabs at it from time to time. And some of you do, and Mike sure did. But for me, he knocked that out of the park. And he gave us a gift in his vulnerability. Are you willing to do that? And it sounds like I'm contradicting myself, but it's always better and always richer if you're authentic with everyone, but you're vulnerable with a few people. You know, I, I think of uh, one of the early followers of Jesus. He wasn't among the apostles of, of the 12 that were called to Christ. Uh, he came along a little bit later, but shaped our world like few other people ever have. Brilliant thinker, theologian, a trailblazer, missionary, church planter, um, the Apostle Paul. And I say all those superlatives uh, describing him, and it, it was um, easy, it's been easy for me to think of Paul as a rugged individual guy, uh, a, a fierce uh, competitor, someone who moved about. And we, it's easy to think of Paul uh, from a distance as someone who, you know, preached the gospel and planted churches and reasoned in the synagogue and endured persecution and, you know, crossed through uh, stormy seas and went through desert plains. And he did all this. Uh, he did all this, but he didn't do any of it alone. 
take a look, if you will, at some names from our Bibles. Just some names that aren't random. I've chosen these uh, for various reasons. But these are some names that I bet some of you recognize. And um, a couple names maybe nobody really recognizes. The first one, um, this is a fun one to say out loud. You pronounce it Sosthenes. Sosthenes. You want to say that? Sosthenes. Sosthenes. Is, uh, yeah, Sosthenes. Um, he was a chief priest at the synagogue in uh, Corinth. And Paul, in writing his first letter to the church at Corinthians, which we're going to study, that's our next sermon series, which will begin in a couple of short weeks. We're going to walk through 1 Corinthians, and we're just calling it 1 Corinthians, addressing the big problems that divide us. And a lot of problems they went through are problems we're going through. And it's just going to teach us how Jesus Christ and the gospel can draw us to each other and how we need to face our problems. The church is not speaking out out loud addressing these problems. And we want to do that. We want to look at this wisdom. But anyway, Sosthenes uh, co-authors. Paul gives him credit for co-authoring 1 Corinthians. Um, Silas was with Paul in uh, jail. He was a, a beloved brother, a co-laborer. He was a fellow jailmate. I hope I never uh, am described that way to, in any of your lives. But he, uh, he was a jailmate of Paul and uh, a duet partner. He sang in prison and the walls fell. Uh, before Elvis, there was Jailhouse Rock and Silas and Paul were a smashingly successful duet. Timothy, he refers to him uh, as his young son in the faith. Hey, Timothy. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me. Uh, to entrust those to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's spiritual multiplication. We're not just called to be leaders who have followers. We're called to be leaders who raise up other leaders. And that's what we see in this uh, relationship. I wasn't the first person that said that. I've just plagiarized somebody. Um, Epaphras is known as a fellow servant, a faithful minister, and a fierce prayer warrior. Lydia is a successful businesswoman. Uh, she sells linens and cloth and made of purple. She was a, um, a wealthy woman. And in Acts 16, uh, it says in Acts 16, 14, that Lydia opened her heart to the message that Paul was preaching about Jesus. And then in Acts 16, 40, after the prison break, it says in Acts 16, 40, that Lydia opened her home. Her and her household opened their home to Paul and Silas and other people. They worshiped in the temple. They gathered in rows on Sunday morning, and they got together in circles. And isn't that true? What's true then is true now. When you open up your heart, like you're, you're going to open up your home, as long as they don't stay too long. Uh, Odia and, and Clement, uh, these two women are mentioned in Philippians chapter uh, 4, verses 1 through 3. This is in your group guide. If you're in a group studying the sermon series, you'll be able to see this and um, I'll read that passage out loud. But Paul loved these two women. They were dear friends. Uh, they served well, but they had a conflict. All right, we're talking about life together. And I love the ragged realism of the Bible. These two women had a conflict, and Paul called them out. He, he, he cared about them so much. If he didn't care about them, he wouldn't have called them out. And if he didn't think something was important at stake, he, he wouldn't have called them out. Uh, but if you're going to be a leader, listen to me. If you're going to be a leader, you have to confront the problems, and you have to, at times, confront the problem people. There's a way to go about it, but it's got to be done. Leaders have to do that. Um, and, um, and Clement had, had a relationship there as well. I, I don't know what he thought about the two women not getting along. He was probably like, yeah, Paul, tell them. He didn't have the courage to tell them. That's just my sanctified imagination. Tychus, we'll look at him in a second. Uh, Stephanus household is mentioned in uh, Romans 16. Titus, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, they were a dynamic duo. They preached the word and they raised up leaders. 
they uh, put people in the, leader, the, er, the first church's leadership pipeline. And Barnabas, y'all know this, was the son of encouragement. He was an encourager. Every church, every group, every family needs an encourager. Someone that will just speak life into the moment. That will call out what is good. There's enough negative out there, isn't there? But having somebody in your midst that could just say the good things. And that's what Barnabas did now. The ragged realism of the Bible. Barnabas and Paul didn't get along. They, they, they shaped each other's life greatly. They loved each other. But they had, listen, they had a conflict. Ministry is hard on relationships. When you're doing something important, it can be very difficult on relationships. And they had a conflict. And you know what they did? They parted ways. And they didn't over-spiritualize the conflict. They just parted ways. And the, the evidence in Scripture strongly suggests that they just blessed each other and went, went their own way. Guess what? I don't know who needs to hear this, but I'm calling some anonymous people out. <laughs> but you can leave a church and just leave. You don't have to talk bad about them. You don't have to throw a pastor under the bus. You don't have to talk about it. You can just leave. You don't have to, you don't have to do that. You can just leave gracefully. Hey, we, we didn't see things eye to eye. There's no good guy. There's no bad guy. There's just you and me, and we just disagree. I quoted a 1970s Marshall Tucker Band song for some of you. But uh, you can just leave. And that's what Paul and Barnabas did. But even though they had a conflict, they had loved each other. They had worked together. They just left. They departed gracefully. And they just realized, hey, it, he shaped my life. Even though there was a conflict, God used this person at that time because God's going to use many people in your life. There's people in your life. I'll say it again. You don't know their names. You don't know anything about their story. And God's got them waiting for you. Take the initiative. Don't stay at home looking at a screen. Sign up and show up. I have a couple of verses real quick just to give you a little bit of the, the pulse of the Bible on some of these names. Ephesians 6 talks about Tychius so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, I love the descriptors, will tell you everything. How, why would he tell you everything? Because he's close to Paul. Like they shared life. It wasn't just the facts of their experience. They, they really shared life in a deep way. How about you? Do you have someone in your life like that that knows everything about you, all that happens? I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts he, he can represent me. Are you close? Do you have some people who are out there so close? They can just go and, and they can represent you. Um, that's a blessing of fellowship. Uh, another passage, uh, Romans 16, one of my favorite. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. I just love Romans 16. If you ever read it out loud, you'll realize how many names you can't pronounce back then. But uh, Rufus, is, that's an easy name to pronounce. I went to high school with a Rufus. Uh, saw him a few years ago. But it chosen the Lord, also his mother. I love that. His mom has been a mother to me. They didn't just attend occasionally on Sunday morning. They really connected their lives and lived as a mission. He, he said, be with him, and then you're sent out. And remember that part in Mark 3 about the demons and all that, like to preach the gospel and to cast out the demons? Like, it's a spiritual battle. And the deepest relationships that we've known in our lives are people that lock arms with us and know that we're in a battle, that we have a mission, and there's good and there's evil, and there's a world that's trying to squeeze us into its mold, but there's an apprenticeship of Jesus that makes life better, um, that affects eternity, and so we fight there. One more passage, Titus 1.4, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. I love this. This is a representative, uh, representative of how we need older and younger uh, leaders uh, locking arms with each other. What would it be like if I called Daniel Wagner my true child in a common faith? He's so young. You think I could get away with that? Uh, yeah, first of all, it's just not true, right? Daniel's like, I'm not your child. Uh, <laughs> Daniel turns uh, 30 
in about a week and a half, January 23rd. He'll be 30 years old, so you're not a child uh, anymore. Carly, is he a child sometimes at home? You have two, Stella and Daniel, okay? Um, she said that, not me. Grace and peace from God, the Father in Christ Jesus, our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what re- remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. By the way, don't be afraid of hard places. We, we partner and give money and prayer, and we go. I've been. We go to hard places in Cambodia and on the front lines of fighting human trafficking. Crete was a place they were known as liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Did y'all know that was in the Bible? Uh, that's this island of Crete. Beautiful place. You may want to visit, but liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And Paul's like, hey, man, I, I trust Ty. Yeah, he's my child of the faith. He's a, he's a younger bro, but I trust him. Daniel Wagner's a younger brother in Christ. Not my child, but a younger brother, and I trust him. I trust him to preach and teach and lead, uh, and that's a good thing, and that's healthy as we share, um, as we share life together. So we need many and we need a few. Authenticity to everyone, vulnerability for a few. Barnett did a survey on Christian discipleship in America. And he asked um, respondents um, their story about these practices, these values, if you will. Some of them are values, some of them are practices. The essentials of discipleship... um, to me, this is like, are we sharing life together? How many of these are individualistic versus communal? Which spiritual disciplines do you believe are essential to discipleship? I wonder well, what you would answer. Deep love for God. It's good, it's good to see love on the top. Prayer meditation, time with God, the be with life. Personal commitment to grow in likeness, An attitude of humility. Regular repentance of sin. You see these attending a local church. Uh, only 31%. And so serving in the church, serving outside the church, uh, sharing our faith with others, all are part and parcel of what it means to follow Jesus, to walk in his way. But um, I want to set this in front of you after we've um, fought with each other and divided over politics. I want to challenge you to re-engage with the local church. I would love it to be this one, but re-engage with the local church. Now's the time to do that. And if anything, I know a lesson from Martin Luther King Jr.'s life and his legacy is that this is not an interior individual thing. It's a communal, habitual thing where we say we are together in this and we're a part of a movement of love that is for everyone. And that as we walk together, we're a part of something. It's a whole new way of seeing something. It's not just, and it's very popular. You've heard this for decades now. I don't know who originally coined it, but going to a church, it doesn't make you a Christian. But if you look at the New Testament church, and the apostles got this, and the early church got it, and the church through at least the year 200, it was very strong. Martin Luther King brought this to America um, in the civil rights movement. But we need, it takes a church to make a Christian, to grow a disciple an apprentice of Jesus who will walk in the way. So it's not just us living individually. So in this passage, which really is our chief passage, Mark chapter 3, Jesus is on a mountain. He calls the 12 to be with him. He appoints them to be with him. And he sends them out to preach the gospel and to cast out demons, to be involved um, on the side of good in the world of good versus evil. And in this, uh, this passage, it will later say, we didn't put it up here, but he calls the 12. Can y'all name the 12? Any Sunday school people in the house? Anybody grow up in the church? 
Uh, you can name Peter, James, and John, and you can name uh, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew. You can name Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot and James the other James and Thomas and Thaddeus. Those are the, uh, oh, and Judas. So I just, uh, I named all 12. How about that? Wrong, round of applause? No, 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 no. Um, uh, I'm the preacher. Of course I know the, the 12. But uh, the, these are the 12. And the ones that were closest to him were Peter, James, and John. And Peter was the one who spoke first. Uh, you know that, right? Peter, uh, at one point Jesus was talking about what was to come and he, he said, hey, he's going to go and he's going to give up his life. Uh, he's going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And what did Peter say? He goes, no, Jesus, don't, no, no, don't talk that way. You might depress the crowd. Don't, like, let's, let's no, 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 not, not that. And, and Jesus says to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. And Peter's the one who said, um, you know, when, when they're in the garden and the Roman soldiers are around and, and Jesus wanted his disciples to follow in the way of faith, trust him with the plan, and peace, don't go after people. What did Peter do? He famously grabbed a sword and cut off a Roman soldier's ear. He got it all wrong in that, in that scenario. And Peter was the one who said, they're all going to deny you, but I won't. I will not deny you. Ever. They will, but I won't. And he denied him three times as Jesus had said he would. And Peter went first, and Peter failed first. And you could find yourself in the story. And Jesus says to you today, if you speak up a lot, and you volunteer, and you make bold claims, and you fall flat on your face time and time again, Jesus is saying to you, come and be with me, and let me shape your life. James and John were known as the sons of thunder. That would be a cool nickname. Like if you're playing sports, like sons of thunder. But that wasn't really a compliment. Now they were technically the sons of Zebedee, but their nickname was sons of thunder. But like Zeus and Thor in a polytheistic society, those gods were angry gods. The people who believed in many gods would seek to appease those angry gods. And so sons of thunder is actually, he's actually saying sons of anger. They had impulse. Read the stories in the Bible. You'll see he called them to him. Jesus knew what he was doing. And these guys were prone to outbursts. They were prone to competition and rivalry. Um, it was constant. There was a, there was a, a moment, uh, let's look at it real quick, in, the, in one of the gospel accounts in Luke chapter 9. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead and went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem when the disciples James and John the sons of anger saw this they asked Lord do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them <laughs> anybody struggle with impulse control with anger anybody just dumb and you really don't get you don't get what Jesus is doing you don't you have a difficulty loving people and you you're you're you get involved in division and tribal factions and stuff. Anybody like that? You know, Jesus says, come be with me. Come be with me and learn from me and study and learn what it means to be. Now, here's what's tripping. This is tripping. And some of you don't think your story is redemptive. But look how redemptive this is in Acts 8.14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria, where were they? Where did, where did they call down fire? Y'all remember? Samaria. They had accepted the word of God. I know that's different. But look, they sent Peter and who? John to Samaria. The same dude who wanted to call down fire on those people was the same person that got sent to those people. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that great? Keep in mind Mark 3 that he calls them to be with him. And by the way, uh, real quick, uh, others, that there was um, Andrew, and you know, when, you know about Andrew? All the gospel writers say that Andrew was the son of uh, Peter. He was the son, he, brother, I'm sorry, brother Peter, brother Peter. And uh, wouldn't you hate to be known as like, you know, the less than? 
and that was Andrew. He's like, he's Peter's brother, Peter's brother. And you know, the, all, all we learn about, about Andrew really is that every time you see him in the scripture, he's, get this, he's bringing people to Jesus. Every single time. He's just bringing people to Jesus. He didn't let the fact that, you know, like, um, um, I'm kicking this back to the 70s, but like Jan Brady and the Brady Bunch, he didn't let, you know, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. He didn't like, you know, that just paralyzed Jan. She's like, hey, mom and dad, it's always about, it's always about Marsha, my older, more beautiful sister who wins everything. And she could have let that, you know, Andrew could have let it be, be about that, but he didn't. He didn't. He didn't let that excuse. He, he knew that, that Jesus could use it, and he, and he got it right. He's not the most popular of the brothers, but he was always bringing people to Jesus. And some of you aren't in the game and God could use you in that very same way if you overcome these excuses and live the be with Jesus, be with other life. Though the disciples were with Jesus and we close as Lauren and the team come up. Remember Jesus called them and said to be with them. But look what it says in Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of who? Peter and John. Was Peter always courageous? I mean, what happened? A changed life. The greatest thing that you can do is let God change your life. And you'll change the life of others. Because you know what we starve for? I look, I sit down with people my age-ish, and they no longer believe that a life can change. They, they think in their cynicism that people are people, and people can't change. And look at the change that Jesus brings when we're with him. He changes people's lives, and Peter and John did not have the courage but they did. They, they left when it got, when it got, when the heat got turned up, they denied and they ran. And that's the same people that Jesus uses. When they saw their courage and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that what? That these men had been, what? Say it, church, with Jesus. Would you stand with me? Let me pray over you. We're asking you in week three of this life together to step into community. Tomorrow, a lot of you will not go to work. We'll honor the life of Martin Luther King Jr. Those same writers, Paul Stanley and Robert Clinton, uh, took a look at King's life from a different vantage point. And quickly, they realized this, this man was not, uh, you know, some folksy Baptist preacher in the South. But this was a brilliant man. He's been likened more to Moses because of his life and influence, but Martin Luther King, they discover, was motivated in the life of Jesus and his relationship with the Twelve. And that as they studied his life, how could one person bring so much change? How could one person be so courageous and risk it all the way that he did? And they delved in and saw that he was influenced by his faith in Jesus Christ that change had to be brought about and love needed to be given into the world in greater measure and doses. And it was not individual individualism. It was communal. It was us saying, let's be part of a movement. And King learned that from Jesus Christ. And today and this weekend, I'm reminding you of this great historical fact and inviting you in. And I know some of you have heard this before, signed up and you've shown up but you were inconsistent or you found it to be difficult and can I just say like Sterling and Cat Rose Kid said last week going to group can be awkward at times you can have fights in the car about whether you should go if you're married but listen love this needs to be said 
the Jesus love, the best way to live, this love, loving and being loved by others, learning that, men, and by the way, this isn't corny, your greatest need, I don't care what you do, how much you make, it's loving, it's learning to love and be loved. Like my few, my family, and a few friends, it's like a concentric circle. So when I'm with my wife, when I'm with my family, I'm not a leader, a preacher, a teacher, an authority figure, or a persona. I'm a person who needs to love and be loved and to learn that. So you're invited to realize that loving and stepping into Christ-like community, the be with Jesus life and be with other people, this love, um, it's purposeful, it's intentional, it's costly, it's sacrificial, it's faithful, and it's persistent, and it's worth it. Don't quit. And at the beginning of the year, re-engage and re-engage in deeper ways. In Jesus, Father, do your work today. Amen. The altar is open.